Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Yangon, Myanmar with my new friend Jessica Muddit, the author of Our Home in Myanmar. Jessica is a journalist from Australia that lived in Yangon for more than four years. She loved that it was a city that seemed frozen in time, but underwent a major transformation during her time there. In this episode, Jessica and I talk about the 2,000-year-old Swadagon Pagoda, riding the Yangon Circular Train, and getting wet at the Tingon Water Festival. Hear about these three amazing experiences, plus a bunch more. If you know someone that wants to visit Myanmar, if you know someone that wants to visit Myanmar, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide to Jessica's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Yangon. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Whether I'm traveling for business or pleasure, it's important to have clothes that make me look good and feel great. I wear Bluffworks jeans, slacks, dress shirts, and blazers because they're wrinkle-free and are designed for the modern traveler. And if they get dirty, a quick spin in the washing machine, and they're good as new. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks for a special offer and select from the latest styles so you can stay wrinkle-free when you travel. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So listeners, don't let the Australian accent fool you. We're not talking about where you live now in Sydney. We're actually talking about uh, a city that I don't know that much about. It's uh, Yangon, uh, Myanmar. It's a historical city that has a lot of really great culture and history behind it. And I think it's something that I think a lot of people really want to be able to kind of expand their palate and learn about cities like this. Yeah, it's a fascinating place. And it is very different from its neighbors in the region. So it borders with Thailand, India, China, Laos, but it's completely unique. Oh, that's fantastic. So like you said, obviously, you're in Australia, you get the Australian accent. Like, what's your connection to Yangon? I was living in Bangladesh and I was working as a journalist and uh, seeing all these, you know, sort of good news stories coming out of Myanmar, which I'd been longing to go to for years, but it had always looked a bit too risky. And I had a friend in Bangladesh who knew the owner of the Myanmar Times. So I contacted him and said, could I come and work at your newspaper? Which I did. I had a month trial and then I ended up staying in Yangon for four and a half years, not with that newspaper the whole time. I worked for the state-run newspaper. I worked for the British Embassy and the UN, and I was also a freelance journalist. And the reason why I was particularly interested to go to Yangon at that time was because the general elections were scheduled for 2015, and I arrived in 2012. So that was a really exciting lead up to, you know, what were hopefully going to be the first elections in 50 years. So the country was, you know, moving from dictatorship to democracy and the chance to witness that and be part of that, you know, as a member of the media was something that I desperately wanted to do. And I went to the most incredible lengths to be able to remain in Myanmar. (laughs) Oh, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, that's like a a once in a lifetime experience that a vast majority of people have nowhere they can't even comprehend the type of changes that I'm sure that occurred during that time. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, Obama came twice. You know, he was very interested. It, it felt like the world was watching, you know, for, for sort of us in those years and particularly then 2015. But Yangon is the cultural capital of Myanmar. It used to be the capital until the junta abruptly moved to the capital literally overnight. But there's all these quirks, whether you're a tourist or whether you're an expat. So, 
you're not allowed to rent property as a unless you've got a business visa and you have to leave the country every 70 days if you're on a business visa. You have to pay a year's rent up front and tourist visas used to only be a couple of days long. Then they were a week long and then they were 28 days long. So there's many, many quirks. We could talk about the currency as well. Like they accept US dollars as a second currency, but the notes have to be issued after 2006. And if there's so much as a mark or a smudge, can't use it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and also there were no banks when I arrived. So you had to bring all your cash in with you to last, whether it be the 28 days or the 70 days. God forbid you bring in, uh, you fold your US notes because then you've got no money. <laughs> oh, wow. That is uh, that is very strict. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely want to like learn about all that. I do want to say one thing, you know, obviously when we're recording this, you know, there's been a little bit of trouble in the, the country over the last couple of years. Like you said, I think beforehand, people are just now kind of starting to go back in, but it's still, you know, the, the, the tourist population is still relatively small and it's primarily like the, the really adventurous uh, among us, right? That's true. So it's sort of gone full circle, which is tragic. So I arrived, it was opening up. I left in 2016 and then in 2021, there was a military coup and it has gone back to sort of ground zero. So the newspapers that I worked at, they're closed, they're illegal, they're a journalist in prison, the former British ambassador was in prison, plus with, you know, COVID, and it, it, it is diabolical. However, it's stabilising. You know, it's it's just going back to, the sadly, the dictatorship that it used to be. So everyone knows this playbook. And there were tourists before I arrived in 2012, and there are tourists again now because, the, you know, the thing is people want to go and see countries, you know, while we're alive sort of thing, and who knows when... Myanmar will return to being a democracy. So if you look at, you know, the US or the UK government travel advice, it's, you know, reconsider your need to go to Yangon and then parts outside Yangon are mostly do not travel. So if you're there for an essential business purpose, fine. But you can, I know, because I have so many contacts I'm seeing every day, you know, there are trivia nights happening again. The British Chamber of Commerce has resumed just quietly, though. And if you take enough precautions in Yangon and you don't go there as a journalist, you go there purely as a tourist, should be probably be okay. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. And, And hopefully, as people continue to listen to this episode over the years, things will continue to open up and it'll be, you know, safer and safer and and you'd be a more a more welcoming place for for everybody to come visit and everything. Yeah, that's correct. And it's also really kind of there's occupational hazards and you know the, the lack of electricity. Um, there's not very good medical care, so you want to make sure that you've got travel insurance because if you have an accident, you'll need to go to Bangkok or Singapore if it's serious. So, and but I mean that was really always the case. Things were sort of slowly starting to improve. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's potholes if you're walking along the streets of Yangon at night. Many a tourist and expat has fallen into one of those. I know someone who broke her leg. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's those kinds of hazards. But crime is very low, especially compared to other countries in, in the region, really very low. So you just you just have to go and really educate yourself before you go. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as like, if we wanted to go and visit, uh, obviously you you, know, you have the the Aussie passport and I have the U.S. passport. Currently, they're not recommending us travel there. But is there like a visa process or like anything required in order to be able to gain entry to the country? 
yeah, there's a quirky, quirky, quirky visa process. Uh, I remember I got knocked back for a visa because my paperwork was not printed in colour. So it had to be printed in colour, not black and white. Everything is printed. They did introduce e-visas on arrivals for tourists, but the situation changes so rapidly that it's really important to check the most up-to-date information. So go online. I would say definitely don't wing it. Definitely get yourself organised before because for so long it was the case that you had to have your visa prior to arrival. And the only way that you could get like a business visa on arrival was from Yangon Airport, which really is sort of the only international airport where you'd fly in and out of anyway. And for a long time, that was also a requirement. So you were not allowed to enter or exit the country from anywhere else, but flight into Yangon. Okay. Okay. So if we're going to fly into to Yangon, are there direct flights for like the US or Australia or do we, is there like kind of like a, a stopover in one of the other countries along the way? Bangkok is really the hub because um, it's about an hour, an hour's flight away and that's the most likely place. So get your direct flight to Bangkok because that's a, a, a very international airport and then just grab an hour flight. And because even though there's a small number and there always have been a small number of expats and tourists, because of this requirement, like tourists need to leave every 28 days and expats had to leave every 70 days, there was always a huge amount of traffic between Bangkok and Yangon. There were a few direct flights with China as well and Singapore. But again, I'm seeing that start to resume but I would say probably your best bet is it'd just be easier and cheaper to go to Bangkok and then go, say, Bangkok Airways, Myanmar National Airways or Air Asia into Yangon. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, once we fly into the airport there, getting from the airport to the city, do we rent a car? Do we, is there public transportation? Do we rent a, like, get a taxi? Like, how do we get around? You will need to get a taxi. Um, the airport is a little further out of town and traffic was starting to get quite bad so it could take you sort of up to an hour to get downtown there's nothing branded there's just cabs out the front you just wander out the front and just jump into a cab there's no public transport to speak of from the airport and even within Yangon I did not use public transport I always took taxis and most locals avoided public transport unless they had no alternative so the buses are just it's like a tin of sardines, like people hanging out the doors and the windows oh, wow. <laughs> and stuff like that. And just, yeah, extremely crowded. These are old, like World War II buses of, of that vintage. They sort of rumble along at about, you know, 25 kilometres an hour along the streets. And then you've also, there's no motorbikes because motorbikes are banned. So you can't grab a motorbike taxi like you would in Bangkok. So it's really a sedan taxi that you will need to get. And then there's also tri-shores, which are really fun if you're just going a short distance. So it's like a rickshaw, you know, like what you'd see in India or Bangladesh, but you're sitting, there's a passenger sitting forwards and a passenger sitting backwards, like with their backs to each other on the side of the driver. And that's a lovely way. And then the driver's pedaling. So it's pedal power. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a lovely way to sort of slowly take in the city. If you're already downtown, and I would recommend you stay downtown and you're just going a couple of blocks, that's a really nice way to travel. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I know sometimes in certain countries, like you know the, the rickshaws or trishaws and certain rides like that, it's like a, they look at it as like an opportunity to take advantage of the tourists. Are there certain situations like that that you really need to look out for when you're when you're in Yangon? The interesting thing about Yangon is 
the people are so honest and I'm sure that this is connected to the, the Buddhism, you know, I think 93% of the country are Buddhists really devout, you know, it's one of the, the, the most poverty stricken nations in Asia. And I remember reading in Lonely Planet, if you drop money on the ground, someone will run up behind you and give it back to you. And that happened to me a number of times. And I would sit out at a beer station all night long, just with my bag on the ground. You can walk into a bank and all the cash is inside on the table, piled up in stacks. There's zero security. It is just not a materialistic grubby kind of place. So I would say that's not something that you need to worry about, which is so unusual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like you're on a different metaverse or something, you know? It is. So if you want an <laughs> antidote to like global capitalism, go to Myanmar. I, I remember trying <laughs> to spend my money and pleading, I want to buy this. And they say something like my boss isn't here or, you know, like we're closed or something. It's just not driven by commerce. Okay. And so like we were talking earlier about, you know, having some American cash, do you recommend converting into some of the local currency or do you, should you just stick with American dollars or, or are there obviously like I use the, I use credit cards a lot for miles and points. Like do they accept credit cards? No, don't rely on your credit card being accepted and definitely convert some money to chat, which you will, you can only do once you're inside Myanmar because it's a, it's a currency that doesn't leave the country. So you can't, you know, change it outside of Myanmar. So you want to do that before you leave. You can't use American dollars for your buying food off the street and that kind of thing. And that's partly because you're going to buy a lot of stuff that's cheaper than the denominations. So even, you know, 70 cents there's, and you've only got a dollar. So how would you get change? A, a short, try short, journey could be 500 chat, which is 50 cents. So it's only really like at your guest house, your hotel, if you go to a like a sort of more upmarket restaurant where you'd pay in dollars, maybe if you booked a trip and, you know, if you were going outside Yangon or something like that. So you do want chat, but I was always paid in US dollars and then I would convert that to chat. So as a freelancer, I'd go around to all the magazines each month to pick up my pay and I would have a plastic bag of chat which was, you know, I would be paid. I was, I was a millionaire, you know, I'd be paid a, a million or so chat a month. It was amazing. And all those rules I mentioned about, you know, keeping the currency pristine, that only applies to US dollars. Okay. The chat is fine. It, you know, it gets wet in the monsoon and, you know, dirty and torn and that's fine. But, but you, you would want to take in US dollars because that's the only way to convert to chat and you want to keep that flat. So you want to bring in like an A4 notebook and slide your US dollars into that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if I have, if I, <laughs> I don't know if the last time I've ever, ever touched like a, a, a full crisp dollar. I mean, it's been a little while. Yeah, so, well, it will take you back in time as soon as you step onto Yangon soil. I mean, I should add, there are ATMs. So ATMs came when I was there. Mobile phones also didn't exist when I first arrived in 2012. So there are ATMs, but it's a bit haphazard. You can't really rely on them. And I certainly would prefer to bring in the bulk of my money in cash for the time that I was going to be there. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, if somebody's planning their trip, what time of year should they plan a trip around it as far as like certain festivals or what's the weather like throughout the year? If maybe you want to avoid like the monsoon season or something like that. It's the heat that becomes really oppressive. So it's like in May, as the monsoon season is about to begin, it's over a hundred degrees, sort of 40 degrees Celsius with incredible humidity. So, you know, your washing doesn't dry. It's just you're constantly dripping wet. 
So you do want to avoid that. The best time is therefore winter, which is November, December, January, and then February is still okay. And then March is sort of really starting to get quite hot. So that was always the high tourist season. Then in the monsoon season, so that hits May, June, and the relief of that is amazing, <laughs> but it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. So I, I arrived in June and I remember I'd go to bed in the hotel and the rain would be pounding down. Like you can't even see the individual drops of rain. It's so heavy. I'd wake up in the morning and it would still be pounding with that intensity. 14, 15 hours later, it's just incredible. And you get used to it and the city floods and everything and you just kind of wade through it and or everyone always wears flip-flops and stuff. But if you're if you're a tourist, it, that's a bit tough because yeah, sure. <laughs> getting out and about when you you might get an hour of without rain. So, you know, you don't want to be there for that really. And then there is the um the Burmese New Year is a beautiful festival. It's the water festival and that happens in April. So that's coming up. And that's when everyone throws buckets of water on each other and the streets are like they're cut off and everyone sets up these like stands where you just get drenched with water. And that's really fun, but the whole city is shut down. So you sort of have to weigh up, do you want to experience it? And it goes for like a week. So really once you've been dunked with water for a day and it does get a bit rowdy and people drink a lot and stuff. So I would say probably prioritise just being able to access all the sites of the city you know, in, in that sort of December, January period. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when I was doing a little bit of research for the, the podcast, like it looked like there were so many pagodas and other different um, like religious sites that just the buildings look absolutely gorgeous and amazing. And, you know, the gold plating here, there, and like these amazing designs. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the things that we should do while we're there and some of the places we, we got to make sure that we hit. Well, you have to hit the Shredagon Pagoda and you want to do that as soon as possible because then you're going to see it from everywhere you are in the rest of the city and have these wonderful memories. So, you know, you might be at a rooftop bar and at night. So the Shredagon Pagoda is at least 2,000 years old. It contains relics of like the Buddha's tooth and hair and stuff and it's 2,600 tonnes of gold leaf, which sounds insane. It is the most beautiful monument. So this sort of, it's kind of a bell-shaped gold pagoda that sits atop of a hill. And there's so there's at all times of day, the light is different. So if you go at dawn, it's this sort of beautiful, you know, the golden light. And then, you know, through sunset, it sort of turns a deep, like burgundy red color. And then you've got the monks coming, you've got the nuns, people. And this is, this is an active place of worship. So there's, you know, there's chilled groups of children and families and it could even be a, like a date destination. Couples will stroll around and make offerings. They'll light candles, light incense. Bells are ringing. There's heaps of pigeons that will suddenly all fly off like a bell that's <laughs> rung or something. And it's it's just mesmerizing. It is so beautiful to take in the pe- the people. And it's you take off your shoes and you need to wear a long skirt and like cover yourself modestly. That goes for guys too. So if you turn up in shorts, they'll give you a lungy, which is like a sarong. So you'll wrap that around yourself. No shoestring straps because it is a, it's a religious place, like a holy place. You can just take a seat and just people watch and then move on, sit down somewhere else and people watch. It's just beautiful. And the the actual pagoda is enormous. So it's it's a photographer's delight. 
Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, when you mentioned it looks like a bell, yeah, it definitely looks like you could, like you pick it up and you could just ring it and set it back down. Ring a ding. Yeah, <laughs> that's really awesome. There's another uh, pagoda called uh, the Suli Pagoda that also looks really amazing. It's de- definitely not as bright or shiny as as the Shwedagon, but it it still looks uh, you know really beautiful. It's very beautiful and it's it's the heart of the city. So that is the center point in Yangon. So all your streets, like first, second, third street, they start from that point. And the Sule Pagoda is also extremely old. It's not it's nothing nothing special from the inside, but from the outside it's beautiful. And but for me, I'd sort of I'd pass it. It becomes like your big Ben. You know, if you lived in London, you pass it all the time. Um, and there's lots of wonderful Indian food stores just around that area. There's like an Indian quarter there. And it's, you know, the commercial district. So it's kind of, you know, the beating heart of the city, that Sule Pagoda. That's really cool. And there's another one. Uh, I'm, t- I'm totally going to butcher this name. Uh, so apologize to everybody. It's like the Chaktaji, the Buddha temple. Like it has like the, the, the Buddha that's laying down. Well, <laughs> there are so many temples in Myanmar. I mean, I in, in Yangon and, and Myanmar as well. So the idea with the temples is that you make merit. So if you and there's what is said about the military men is that they do terrible things and then they go and build a pagoda and they think everything's going to be okay for them, which it is not. So the place, you know, there's an irony there is dotted with these golden pagodas. They're countless. I'm not sure of the one that you mean, but the other thing that's really cool about Myanmar is that it has so many of the world's biggest Buddhas, whether it's standing up, sitting down or reclining. It has the Guinness World Records for so many of them. I went to one in Molamine where I was as tall as a single eyelash of the Buddha. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I was looking at the, some of the other things that, that go around there. There's there's a couple of like really beautiful lakes, like the the Inya Lake and the uh, Kandalgi uh, Lake. Kandalgi, yeah, uh, yeah, they're very beautiful. And I remember coming from the airport when I first arrived in Yangon, looking up at Inya Lake and thinking, like, you know, when you arrive in a foreign city and it's really foreign and it's really exhilarating. Yeah. Looking at Inya Lake, which slopes up, it's like a moon crater. I didn't know that it was a lake, and all I could see was like couples under like parasols sitting on the on the the grass, and then this amazing sort of purple tapiri i thought what on earth is on top of that sort of crater looking thing and just thinking <laughs> wow this place is going to blow my mind um and in your lake it's beautiful you can stroll around there if you sort of walk up then you can see the lake and Aung San Suu Kyi, the democracy icon her house is on the lake and there was the there was that famous incident where the american an american tourist swam to her house and got her another 5 years in detention because he wanted to go and save her or something oh wow yeah but there's like you know there's like pleasure gardens and, and like there's a little amusement park and you sort of go there and walk around at sunset it's really beautiful and kandorji lake has this beautiful mythical sort of dragon creature barge and you can go there every night they have this incredible cultural performance of like traditional Myanmar dances and traditional Myanmar buffet. It's really beautiful. It's and it glitters at sunset. It's just like the scales of this dragon glitter in gold. It's amazing. That sounds like such a phenomenal experience. One of the other things that I was reading about uh, is the the National Museum, which has a lot of artifacts and and storytelling of the, the country's history. 
Yes, it's terrific. I highly recommend it. And it also has photography. My friend Richard Duran, which I write about in my book, he took photographs. He was traveling to Myanmar in the 80s on these week-long visas, and he documented almost every ethnic group in Myanmar. It's the most comprehensive group. So you've got women with like amber speared through their ear and tattoos all over their faces. That exhibition is now permanently on at the National Museum. Oh, wow. And it, yeah, and it also has incredible things like um, the last king's throne. So Thibor, he was exiled to India. And if you want to read more about that, you can read a book called The Glass Palace. His throne is there. And all these beautiful costumes and, you know, opulent royal jewels and things like that. It's And it's it's a really big, I think it's probably four or five levels. It's a good museum. It's definitely worth going. And it's never overly crowded. Well, that's that's awesome. Uh, now, one of the other things that, that I saw that was really cool, like you said, like, obviously, you're not going to be taking the public transportation, those type of things. But there's like the, the Yangon uh, a circular train, which seems like kind of like a more of a t- touristy type of thing. Yeah. I love the Yangon Circle Line. That's just, it's like the Chai Shore. It's a beautiful way to see the city. So you go down to Yangon train station. I think it'll cost you 30 cents for a ticket. And you just go around in a circle in this, it's open air carriages. And it's as interesting inside the carriage as looking outside because you have, I remember like a, a blind busker was on part of, because I did a story on it for the Myanmar Times And people come on and um, they sell their wares and then they jump off at the next station. So you might have a lady next to you with 50 kilos of cauliflower or musical instruments that you're not sure what they are. And people, like, they sing through the train and it's just really beautiful. And it it becomes, so Yangon is, you know, it's an urban city of six six million, but it takes you out to where it starts to become very, very rural. So you see water buffalo and rice paddies and, you know, children playing in their sort of more kind of shack dwellings, that kind of thing. And it's very beautiful. It's very lush, very green, lots of beautiful flowers. It's, again, something you wouldn't want to do in peak summer because it gets really hot, but it's it's lovely. And there's all these there's strange things like enormous car yards where there's like stacks and stacks of old cars crushed. It's just... Yeah, there's lots of it takes you to some takes in some odd places. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a unique experience for sure. Now, one of the things that, that's always like part of traveling is checking out the local food and exploring some of the local flavors. I know we're running a little short on time, but are there a few different places that you'd recommend that, that we hit as far as being able to get some of those local flavors? Yeah, so Burmese cuisine is unique. I thought it was going to be a lot like Thai food or, or possibly Indian, but it's not. It's it's just unique. So you want to hit up a Myanmar tea shop and it won't have a sign in English or you could you could look for something called Lucky 7, but you could just sit down at a it's a port it'll be gone by nightfall and it'll be there first thing in the morning is a Mohinja stall, which is where office workers have their breakfast or whatever people wherever people are going for work, school children as well. Sit down on a a tiny little plastic stool, on a tiny little communal table, and you have a bowl of mahinja, which is fish broth with sort of flat noodles and crunchy fried crispy noodles and some boiled egg. And it is absolutely delicious. It's a very great filling. It's kind of kind of a liquid porridge, I guess, but it's a great way to start your day. And you can have that 
with a coffee cucker, which is a, a black coffee, or green tea, which will be served everywhere. And you just, you know, you take in the, the surrounds because you're sitting out on the street on the footpath. It's wonderful. You could, if you want to go a little bit more upmarket, sort of tourist-friendly with a menu, go to Rangoon Tea House, which is a, it's a wonderful, like, sort of modern fusion, beer on tap, beautiful kind of retro decor and stuff. So that's really fun, like for your lunch or your dinner. Oh, fantastic. Now, where would we go as far as like getting like a, like a local breakfast before we head out for the day? Well, I mean, that would be your mohinja because that's oh, okay. what people, yeah, that that's the staple breakfast. So that's what you, you would have. The breakfast at the guest house is typically a couple of fried eggs and a piece of white bread. So it's a bit uninspiring, but yeah, it's the mohinja that people start their day with. Oh, Nice. Well, Jessica, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. I've learned so much about Yangon. You know, there's a place I never thought about visiting, but it sounds like so magical and, and seeing the pictures. It's definitely on my list now. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Yangon, where should they go and what should they eat? Go to the Strand Hotel. George Orwell has been a guest there. Sunset Morn, Rudyard Kipling. It has this beautiful restaurant where you can have high tea, sort of – you know, it was built during the British colonial era, era and it has not been, you know, revamped. It's just been preserved. It's really beautiful. And it has a beautiful bar as well. And it's all sort of teak with like china and porcelain plates. It's very elegant, very beautiful. And you sit there overlooking the river and the food is excellent. Well, that sounds amazing. Now, like you said, you were there for about four and a half years uh, during the, a really transformative time of, of the country. I'm sure you uh, have some uh, really amazing memories. Which one of your most memorable? Seeing Obama, he came and spoke at Yangon University to a group of students. It was a really intimate sort of town hall style address that he gave. And there were students from all different countries in the region. And he just did a Q&A. And watching him talk about democracy, so this was, you know, the elections were really close. I think they were less than a year away. And these students, like, asking, like, what if your friend is, like, they're from a different ethnic group, like, what should, how should you be? And hearing Obama just really simply but honestly have this conversation was really beautiful. And he did stuff like he, it was girl boy, girl boy that he took questions because he said, like, in a good society, women are treated equally. And he was really funny. One guy like had like seven questions for him. So Obama <laughs> like said, give me that piece of paper. I'm confiscating it. He, he, he said, I'll read it later, put it in his pocket. He said, just ask me a question. What do you most want to hear? So like, it was funny and it was, it was beautiful. And he was, you know, treated like the rock star that he is. And it was just kind of a spine tingling moment. And it, it felt I just felt so optimistic for the country, like Myanmar has rejoined the world. And look at this, the most powerful person wants to come and talk to the young people in Myanmar. It was just, it was really beautiful. That was really cool. I'm sure it touched a lot of people's hearts that day, for sure. Yeah. Now, speaking of good times and happy memories, where's the happiest happy hour in, in Yangon? It's on Beer Street. It has to be because it's called Beer Street. It's I, so <laughs> I started the Foreign Correspondence Club of Myanmar because we didn't have one. And we would meet on Beer Street, which is AKA 19th Street in Chinatown. And it's pedestrian only. I mean, you can squeeze a car through, but it's like an alleyway. And there's all these like kind of old sort of Chinese style shutter windows and shops. And the street level is all, they're called beer stations, beer stations and barbecues. So you go and choose what you want with a pair of tongs and you pick up skewers and it could be like lotus root, liver, quail's eggs, broccoli, prawns, and then they go and cook it for you out the back in this amazing kangmyat 
the station. That's specifically where we always had the foreign correspondents meet up. You're just sitting out on plastic chairs and tables and the waiters run around, you know, they're like lightning. The service is amazing and the beer is cold and the food is great. And, you know, people just walk by, stop in. Oh, hey, hey, Pete, how you doing? Come and have a seat. It's just fantastic fun. And the beer is like 40 cents. So you can stay all night and spend $20. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Right up there in my uh, my book because frugal on the beers and, uh, and drinking good times. So, And I should add, next to, next to Kamyak Beer Station is Kosan. So you did ask me about happy hours. So we used to always get rum sours because that's a really popular cocktail. And they are happy hour. The happy hour lasts, I don't know, like the whole night or something, half the night. And they'll bring them to your table. It doesn't even matter if you're not drinking there. So that's where you get both. But in when beer is less than a dollar all the time, it's like, well, that's always a happy hour, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. It's like it gives me kind of like a flavor of home when I'm when I'm a little bit homesick. Where's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Yangon? Sharky's. So it's the only gourmet delicatessen type that you can you can buy the ingredients. You can also dine in. It's really expensive compared to other places, but my gosh, the pizza is amazing. It's you know the the thin crust Italian style like an authentic kind of pepperoni and then it has other some other beautiful like char-grilled vegetables and chickens like chicken tandoori and things like that as well so they have a few different outlets there's two in Yangon so there's one uptown in the sort of Golden Valley which is where the expats live area and then there's another one right in the heart of downtown in this converted beautiful former sort of warehouse so it's got steel beams through it and everything it's and it's very beautiful and their gelati is also amazing oh that sounds fantastic now i know uh based on your history of being a freelance writer and you know obviously traveling to to myanmar and and then living in australia i'm sure you've also traveled all over the world i'm sure you have some amazing travel tips to help things uh move along and, and go in the right direction uh what's one of your best travel tips when I arrive in a new city, I give myself a day's grace to – even a couple of days' grace to understand the currency. So I don't flip out trying to work out what, what's that worth and, and getting all stressed and being a stress head with a hawker, you know, and whipping out a calculator and that kind of thing. If I make some mistakes and I'm overcharged or I accidentally, you know, somehow in Myanmar say I don't pay someone what's appropriate and they're too polite to tell me – I forgive myself for that because it's not easy to get your head around a new currency. And this was very much when I backpacked for a year through Asia. It, it just takes time. And so I think just kind of being gentle on yourself is rather than getting all stressed out, just makes it more enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the main things is like when you're traveling, it's, you know, a lot of times it's a different language, you know, different currencies, different customs. You're not going to get it right the first time. So No, and that's okay. So I'm just listening those first couple of days. If someone tells me what the price is, I pay it and I work it out. And it also, you know, because it's not until you buy, you know, okay, what's the cost of a bottle of water versus that trip in the taxi? I took that it starts to kind of make sense, especially if you're dealing in a currency like, I don't know, Vietnamese dong, and it's hundreds of thousands, you know. <laughs> you, you just pay 300000 for a guidebook. You know, your ATM receipt doesn't make any sense when it gives you your statement, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, accept that it will take, some time. And I also have a weird superstition that I get lost on my last day 
in a city. I know Myanmar made me quite superstitious. Um, <laughs> but it's just this weird thing. It's it's strange. So those kinds of little quirks, I guess, of your trip is just go with the flow. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Now, Jessica, again, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing all these amazing tips. It's been great talking to you. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm a freelance journalist. I live in Sydney now, but I did spend a decade overseas as a journalist in London, Bangladesh, and Myanmar. So my book is about the four years that I lived in Yangon, and it's called Our Home in Myanmar. And it's about Myanmar transitioning from dictatorship to democracy. I returned to Australia in 2016, and I'm a freelance journalist, um, and I write for Forbes, BBC, uh, company director, and GQ. And I'm also working on my second book, which is another travel memoir. It's called Once Around the Sun, and it's about the year I travelled overland from Cambodia to Pakistan when I was in my 20s pre-social media, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Your book sounds amazing. I can't wait for it to come out. If somebody has questions about your books or about Yangon or even Sydney, what's the best way to reach you on social media? You just tap in Jessica Muddit. That's my handle on every platform. You will find me there. Well, fantastic. I learned so much about Yangon and, and Myanmar, and I, I can't wait to visit someday. Until next time, we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thank you, Lee. What a wonderful conversation with Jessica. Although there has been political instability in Myanmar in the recent years, I'm happy to hear that the situation has stabilized and visitors are starting to return. You can find all the links we talked about today and our one-page guide to Jessica's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash yangon. We want to say thank you to Bluffworks for being an affiliate partner of today's episode. Bluffworks offers many styles to fit your needs, so that way you can stay wrinkle-free while traveling. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks and use the promo code LEAD to save 10% off your order. Join us next time as we visit Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to speak with my new friend Justin Royal of OTO Development. In this episode, Justin and I talk about catching a show at the Carolina Opry, strolling down Broadway at the beach, and eating the daily catch at the Sea Captain's house. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.